Every human being has a responsibility before God to seek the Lord. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm glad you're here. But I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about whether you're a Baptist or a, a Methodist or whatever. I'm talking about every human being's responsibility to seek the Lord. Lord, who are you? Show me that you're real. Now, some of us know God's real because somebody before us sought the Lord. And they had faith and they instilled in us the desire to seek the Lord for ourselves. Now, I'll tell you, I am a third generation Christian, praise the Lord, that uh, my grandparents were saved and my parents were saved. I'm a third generation Christian, but I still had to seek the Lord for myself if I was going to know him. And my children still have to seek the Lord for themselves if they're going to know him. Every one of us has to seek the Lord for ourselves. But the truth is, if you're raised without God, it may be a little more unlikely that you will seek the Lord for yourself. However, when you do find the Lord, you may see him more clearly than some of the folks who were raised with God in their environment. But all that said, every one of us has a responsibility to seek the Lord. Lord, show me that you're real. And I believe, and the Bible teaches, that that desire and our realization of that need is instilled in every one of us. We have that. We're born with that instinct. And that's why when you say, well, yeah, this gospel business is great for people who have heard it, but and it always goes to some guy in Africa. I want to meet him someday. Now, what about the guy in Africa who's never heard? And the fact is, he has the same instinct that I have to seek the Lord. And he's got to decide, just like I do, whether he's going to seek the Lord for himself. And I could, we could stay for the next two or three hours and tell you, I could tell stories, and you could probably tell me stories, of people from third world countries who sought the Lord and God sent them a missionary. And, and hooked them up with somebody who had the gospel message. So that doesn't fly. The fact is, every human being has a responsibility to seek the Lord for yourself. God, are you real? Show me that you're real. The Bible talks about seeking the Lord, and I would urge you, if you have a concordance, if you could even go on the internet and use an internet search engine for the Bible and just search the word seek in the Bible and see how much God talks about seeking the Lord. See, seeking the Lord is a little bit different than praying. It certainly includes praying, but seeking the Lord has to do with your heart. It has to do with your desire. It has to do with an intense search that comes somewhere from within to want to know who God is, to want to know the truth, to want to be convinced of what is true and what is real. Seek the Lord. It's our responsibility, but let me point out that it's not a responsibility that comes without many great assets and opportunities. The Bible is full of promises of what God will do for the person who seeks the Lord. For example, Deuteronomy 4.29 
If from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So God promises that if you seek him, you will find him. See, I don't understand how you find God. That's why you seek him. He'll show you how you find him. He promises if you seek him. Now, notice it says with all your heart, you can't try one time and give up on it and say, well, God didn't, God didn't answer. No, you've got to seek him diligently. Seek him with all your heart. Psalm 34 says, they that seek the Lord shall not want. And, of course, that's a, an old English way of saying lack. Shall not lack any good thing. They that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Now, it doesn't say you'll get everything you want. It says you will not lack any good things. When you seek the Lord, by the way, your definition of good thing changes. You won't covet the things you used to covet. You won't be as greedy as you used to be when you seek the Lord. But God says you won't lack any good thing. Proverbs 28, 5, they that seek the Lord shall understand. I'm sorry, the word shall is not in there. They that seek the Lord understand all things. Life makes sense to you when you seek the Lord. You have the ability to figure things out when you seek the Lord. God is promising wisdom to those who seek the Lord. We read Amos 5, 6, seek the Lord and ye shall live. God is not just saying you won't die. He's saying you'll have abundance of life if you pay attention in the context as we read it. God said, I will give you an abundant life if you'll seek the Lord. And my favorite promise about seeking the Lord is Hebrews eleven six, which says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That, that just leaves the door open for every kind of blessing. If you diligently seek him, he will reward. If he's the rewarder, that means your diligent search for God will never come up empty. God says, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord to know that he's real. One of my favorite people in history, Charles G. Finney. He was born, and some of you have been on trips with me back up in, way back in the woods, almost a mile back in the woods. You go up to Warren, Connecticut, and you turn on this road and that road, and it's, it's quite a, there's no way you'll find it on your own. I only know where it is because about 15 years ago, Brother Crichton showed me where it was, and I've been back there dozens and dozens of times since then. I've got uh, bricks in my office from, from this, the house back there, but back there in the woods in Warren, Connecticut, Charles G. Finney was born in 1792. 1792. He's a brilliant young man, very serious young man. And he decided as a young man that he was going to be a lawyer. By the way, he was raised going to church a little bit, but not in a Christian home, not an intensely Christian home. So he had a very secular point of view. And by the way, if you don't raise your children in an intensely Christian home, they're going to have a very secular point of view, very secular worldview, where God is just sort of out on the perimeter. And when you live your life with God on the perimeter... You do not have a Christ-centered life. That's where we're at in America, by the way. That's where Christianity is at in America. All these huge percentage numbers that you hear, wow, that high a percentage of Americans are Christians? There's a high percentage of that number of Christians who are living a humanistic life with Christ on their perimeter. 
We need to get back to a Christianity that has Christ as the center. And it would do real good for all of us to say amen right there. So he was raised in a home where Christ was not in the center, and I don't even know that they were saved at all, but yeah, church was part of what they did. So he's growing up and going to be an attorney. He was very focused on it. He went through law school. He wound up working in Adams, New York, in a, in a judge's office. And the judge was an, an old man, very austere old man. And he was very excited about uh, helping mentoring this 26-year-old young lawyer. And he took him over to his prized possession. They were bound in, in sheepskin. This is his prized possession. Five volumes of Blackstone's Law Commentaries. They were, in the English-speaking language, the final authority on law. And so Mr. Blackstone said, you need to become thoroughly acquainted with these law books. So, and he did. He went to work. He was a brilliant young man, a diligent young man. He took those volumes, and he, he's turning the pages and reading the law. Can you imagine just how much fun that must have been? And it seemed like on every page, and many times on every page, it's referring to the Holy Scriptures. And he saw that so many times that he began to realize, I don't know anything about the Bible. And if I don't become familiar with the Bible, I am never going to learn the law because he is constantly referring to what the Holy Scriptures say. So, just as a matter of education, not because he had a heart for the Lord, he picked up a copy of the Bible and he started to read that and, and study it. And he found over the course of two, after two years, first of all, he realized from studying the Bible that it claimed to be God's words. And he was convinced after two years that it actually did come from God. See, you can have all the arguments you want to and, and all the experiments you want to until you actually read the book. You won't be convinced of anything. He became convinced as a secular law student, he became convinced that the Bible was the Word of God. And then he found something else out. He found out that after two years, he was reading his Bible more than he was reading Blackstone's law commentaries because it intrigued him so. He began to ask the big questions of life. He began to ask God, who he was. I want to know you. I want you to be real to me. You know, when you've got talent and opportunity hanging in the balance on one side, and you've got God on the other side, and you're realizing, this is what I want to give my life to, but this is what life's all about. Boy, it tears you up. It tears you up. And so he toiled and he labored with it. One day on his way to work, he had realized that if there is a God, which he was convinced now that there was, he can show me the answers that I'm looking for. If I'll go straight to him, I'll get the answers. On his way to work one day, he took a detour. He didn't go to his law office. He went off in the woods and he determined, I am not coming out until I'm absolutely sure of what is true and what I'm going to do about it. He was in there all day. And at the end of the day, Charles Finney came out a born-again believer, 
And he came out a preacher because he told God, you can have everything. I'm going to serve you. He left that job at the law office. He became a preacher. Charles Finney was used of God. There's, I believe, an eight-year span. I've told stories before of how God used him. Just unbelievable tool in the hand of God, largely in upstate New York. In fact, there is what you'd have to call a small Bible belt in upstate western New York where you can hardly go into a town. You know, here in big towns, our town is 85,000, and there's just a tiny little sampling of Bible-believing churches compared to the population. Up there, you go to towns of 1,000 or 2,000, and they've got two, three Baptist churches, Bible-believing churches, gospel-preaching churches. And that legacy is still today from his ministry 200 years ago. God used Charles Finney to, to be a huge part of what they call the Second Great Awakening that happened in the early 1800s. He founded Oberlin College in Ohio to train preachers. He was a man tremendously used of God to this day. He's known as the greatest revivalist in American history. Now, I didn't tell you that because I want you to become a preacher. I told you that to show you that if you will seek the Lord for yourself, he will reveal himself to you. Seek the Lord and you shall live. Seek the Lord to know that he's real. You know this story, and I won't belabor it, but I just want to remind you of some of these people. When we first started Calvary Baptist Church in Brewster in 1994, we had knocked on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of doors. And uh, we would go out on Saturday, and uh, me and my wife and Catherine went with us. She just didn't know she was going with us. She was... uh, uh, Catherine was, was uh, let's see, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Catherine was uh, born in our church's ninth month. And so uh, she was there for the whole history of the church. She just wasn't aware of it. But uh, she went visiting with us every week. And anyway, it was our church was about three or four months old when, uh, and every Saturday, uh, Amy and, and uh, myself and my parents would go and uh, knock doors in Brewster. We'd take a street, and my mother and Amy would take one side, and my father and I would take the other side. This particular day, we were on Larkspur Drive in Brewster. And we knocked on a few doors, and we came, and there was a lady out in her driveway, and uh, she was uh, playing with the uh, playing. She had four boys out there. They were playing basketball and so forth, and I don't know. I just looked at the yard and looked at everything, and I thought, uh, these folks are, first of all, they're very Catholic. I, I just, I, I could smell it. And I said, she's not going to want, she's not going to want what I have. And I was, I promise you, after all these years, I can still feel the temptation to sort of skip that house. You know what I mean? Let's just pretend like we don't see them and keep walking. But I can't do that. So I walked in, and Angela attacked me as if we had an appointment. She said, who sent you? And she asked me all these questions about our church and about God, and I'm answering all the questions. Then she asked the question that always turns people away. She said, what version of the Bible do you use? I said, we we use the King James. And I thought, oh, that's it. She's going to kick us out now. She said, and then that's when she told me what's going on. She said, I've been asking God for a long time to send me to somebody to show me the truth. 
And she said, I prayed that the way that I'd know that they had the truth is that they would use the King James, the old Bible, not these new ones. I said, wow. She came to church. I don't think she came the next day. I think she came a week later. And, of course, you know she's been coming ever since. And she's brought, she has brought more people to church over the years and led more people to Christ than, uh, than we could possibly number. But the Lord, she sought the Lord and God answered her. Scott Canals, our church was just a couple of years old and he, he had just gotten out of prison. And uh, he, uh, I wish I had time to tell you that story. It's, it's crazy. He's living in a tent by the reservoir. He came in the month of August. And uh, he had gotten one of our tracks and he didn't know that we were meeting at a VFW. He didn't have a car. So he gets a taxi, and the taxi drops him off in front of the VFW. He gets out, and when you got out in the front of the VFW, there was a, our sandwich sign there that says Calvary Baptist Church, but then through the window you could see Budweiser and Miller and all that. Not where we met, but in, you know we were here, and over here was this big window where the pool table was, and that's what you saw as you were walking up to church. And so Scott saw that, and he's just recovering himself, and so he turns around to the taxi driver, and he goes, don't leave just yet. I might, I might need you. And uh, he walks up. He looks in the barroom window, sees that it's dark. And then he comes and he looks in our little window and he re- sees we're having church. So he turns to the bar, uh, to the uh, taxi cab driver. He said, go ahead. And he comes inside. It was funny. We were signing up that day. We were going to take a trip to Yankee Stadium. And uh, this, boy, here's a blast from the past. We we're going to see the Yankees play the Montreal Expos. And... Uh, they were playing. We had upper deck, front row, the upper deck seats that day. And, and uh, so we were signing up. And Scott's a first-time visitor, and he, he, he gave his money. I think it was $20 a piece we were charging. He says, here's my 20 bucks. I'm signing up. I said, wow, this guy's coming back. He filled out a visitor's card. I'm thinking, wow, we're going to see this dude again. Listen, back in those days when a visitor came back, it was a great thing because usually nobody came back to the VFW. And... Uh, so he, he, he goes away, and I look at the visitor's card, and I look down, and it says, Scott Canals has the date, and it says, a tent by the reservoir. I'm going, oh, great. This is, uh, this is a great prospect here. But here's what happened in Scott's life. Scott was raised in a Christian home. His, his family's parents split apart. He was raised going to Sunday school. Actually, his father sent him to Sunday school, which was part of the bitter, bitterness that rose up in his heart was his, his father insisted that he go to Sunday school, yet he himself drank and smoked and did the whole deal. But Scott grew up singing the songs and learning the memory verses. He left home in Michigan when he was still a teenager. And a lot of details in there, but he winds up coming east, and he was always a very skilled worker. I've never seen a carpenter troubleshooter like any kind of anything in your house. That he, it wasn't always by the book, but, but he'd, he'd get it working right, or he'd get it working. <laughs> Just amazing, really. I've never seen anybody who could rig things like that. But uh, so he went to work as a, as a, as a roofer, and, but he started drugging and partying, and I mean big time. It was, what's crazy is we've gone back and compared the timeline, and, and uh, he was partying and drugging. We lived, for, we lived in a year, for a year here in Danbury over on Stone Street, and he used to party right across the street, same timeline. So we were not right across the street, but diagonally 
He, was, he would party on Triangle Street. We were living on Stone Street. I mean, if we knew each other, we probably could have waved to each other. He would get his drugs in Eden Drive, and Eden Drive was in a lot worse shape than it is these days. And he'd walk up there, and he, he said one, one day he, uh, he, he would go, and he'd walk up there, and he would literally be walking up the hill going to buy drugs, singing Amazing Grace. But things were getting worse and worse and worse. He, he, he wanted to get his life turned around. He wanted to, to get things fixed. And one day, he, he started staying in a motel, if I remember right, and, and they had a Bible in the, in the drawer there, and he would take the Bible out, and he'd read it, and he'd remember the God of his childhood. And he'd read those verses, and he'd say, God, please, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. And he, hear, he said these words, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, turn my life around. The next day he got arrested. The story of his arrest is hilarious. I wish I had time. To, let me just give you one little part of it. You're not going to believe this. He got arrested in New York State for, no, no, he did, I'm sorry, he didn't get arrested. His car broke down and a trooper came and was going to give him a ride home. And he's like, um, because <laughs> he knew he had warrants out for his arrest. And uh, so the, the cop came, and Scott uh, sitting in the car, and, and the trooper says, now, he said, we just have a, he said, it's just, it's just routine that we have to run your name if we're going to give you a ride. And he said, okay. So he ran his name, and, and I think I remember Scott's middle initial is C. They ran the name of Scott E. Canals. And Scott Ekenhouse, whoever he was, had some warrants out. So the cop said, I got some bad news for you, man. There's, there's, there's some warrants. Well, Scott didn't recognize the crimes that the, that the cop listed. So he said, um, I don't think that's me. He said, um, I'm Scott C. Ekenhouse. And the cop looks and he goes, oh, you're right. He said, that, this is Scott Ekenhouse. Oh, good, I'll run your name. Well, he ran Scott's C., Scott C. Ekenhouse. And Scott had a whole lot more warrants out for him than Scott Ekenhouse did. So the very next day, after the day after Scott had prayed, whatever it takes, Lord, turn my life around. He's walking into the courtroom with handcuffs and ankle chains, and he's, you know, shuffling into the court. And he said, I walked in the courtroom, and the light from the courtroom hit me. And he said, something else hit me. I looked up to heaven and I said, is this your answer? Because if this is your answer, I'm okay with it. Because I did pray whatever it takes. And Scott went to Carl Robinson Prison in Connecticut. Did his time there, but got right with the Lord there. Got some, some long-time challenges in his heart cleaned out. Amazing. I am winding up telling a lot of the story, but it's an amazing story. When he was released from, from the Connecticut prison, they told him that he had uh, warrants still in New York. So he's getting out of prison, and he's looking at going right back in. And he told the Lord, okay, I'll go to New York, and I'll turn myself in. He went to New York. He turned himself in. He had an appointment to turn himself in. The prosecutor or whoever was supposed to be there didn't show up until the judge threw out the charges. You talk about God. I mean, That's Angela. That's Scott. I could tell you many. Let me tell you one more. This is 
if you listen to the story, the, the radio this morning, you heard this for the first time because I just heard this the other day for the first time. Brother Ray's going to be here, and I hope I'm not stealing his thunder because he's probably going to tell this story, but pretend like he didn't hear it, okay? You know, Brother Ray ran the bus ministry in Chicago for all those years in the Sunday school of First Baptist Church, and the number is in the millions. I, I'm saying hundred, hundreds of thousands just to be conservative, but the number is in the millions of people documented that rode the buses to church over all those years and so many trusted Christ and so I mean literally I mean I I remember him telling stories when I was in college of being at Wrigley Field and and uh you know going on his way to the restroom or whatever and some kid passed him hey brother Ray I mean he's just he when kids were around in Chicago he he they were going to recognize him because that many people heard him preach, boys and girls and teenagers from Chicago. So last month, last month, he's in O'Hare Airport. Of course, he's been out of the bus ministry for about 15 years as far as running it. He now travels America, has for 15 or, or more years preaching. And so he's in O'Hare Airport, and he said he passed a Chicago police officer. And uh, you know how it is when you pass a cop. You know everything's good. You know you didn't do anything wrong. You just still get a little nervous. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't. I do. Uh, I, when, I, when, I, when a police car passes by, I, I know I haven't done anything wrong. Well, good to, yeah, good to see you. Love you, you know. He said so pass, he passed a Chicago police officer, and he said they sort of made eye contact. But while he was, uh, how you doing, he said the cop was more looking at him boy what you know I'm you know so he keeps walking he said sure enough he he hears him stop and turn around and said "Uh, sir brother Ray said I turned around and the Chicago cop said you're Ray Young aren't you and he said he said yes sir and he said "Uh, let me tell you a story first if you got a second he said when I was 10 years old he said I grew up here in Chicago when I was 10 years old back in the 1980s he said one night I was watching TV with my mom, and he said it was just a regular TV show. I don't even remember what it was, but in that show, they showed people going to hell. He said, I don't even know why. It was just some TV show, and he said when it was over, I was very scared, so I said to my mother, Mom, I'm scared of going to hell, and my mom just said, well, you're a good boy. She said, just keep being a good boy. You'll be fine. He said, but that wasn't good enough for me, so that night before I went to bed, I prayed to the saints, and I said, show me how to go to heaven. And he said, I went to sleep, and he said, the next night I did the same thing. I prayed to the saints. He said, I don't even know. He said, I guess I'd been to church enough time that I heard about the saints, and I didn't even know what that meant. And he said, I just prayed to the saints. And the next night and the next night, he said, I did that for a couple months, and nothing changed in my heart. I had no peace. I had no confidence that, I, that anything was going to be okay. And so he said, I made, after a couple of months, I didn't know what else to do, but I made a decision to stop praying to the saints and talk right to God. And I said, God, send somebody to show me how to go to heaven. He said, that was a Thursday night the first time I prayed that. He said, I'm not kidding you. The next Saturday morning, somebody from your church knocked on my door and said, I want you to ride my bus tomorrow. And he said, my mom said, okay, and so I did. He said, I rode the bus to church, and he said, I went into junior church on Sunday morning, and hundreds and hundreds of kids there. But he said, you were preaching that morning, and you preached a sermon on knowing how to go to heaven. 
And he said, I, I didn't even wait for the end of what you were talking about. He said, I had to know. He said, so I got up and I went to one of the workers that was there and I said, can you tell me, show me what he's talking about? And the worker took me and he said, I got saved that day. He said, I went home and I told my mom, I said, mom, remember I told you I was scared to go to that place. And he said, he said, I, I, I found out today how to go to heaven. He said, I'm going to heaven. He said, you got to come next week and you got to find out too. And she came next week and she got saved. And he said, he said, ever since they said, so many members of my family have gotten saved. He said, I married a, a lady. And I can't remember if he said he married a Christian lady or, or she got saved later. He said, but my wife and my kids are all saved. And all these years later, we're still going to church every Sunday. And he said, thank you for letting God use you that way. I mean, how many more stories can I? Some of you could testify. At some point, you said, Lord, show me the way. And he did. Seek the Lord for him to show you that he's real. I'm going to just go quickly over this point, but seek the Lord to know what he requires of us. It doesn't end when you get saved. We need to seek the Lord day to day. We need to seek the Lord throughout the day. How many times in a day do you say, Lord, show me what to do here? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We were trying to figure this out. My father did this project, and and I'm I'm the guy that, you know, holds the tape measure and stuff. But there was a couple of things in here. We, we didn't know when we tore the wall down what we were going to find, and then we didn't know how we were going to cover up what we were going to find. And so this is my father's plan, and, and he did an excellent job And with uh, limited resources. didn't cost the church a dime. But we, uh, we were most of what you see here, we were in Home Depot for about 10 minutes, but one little part of what you see here, significant part to make it work and look right, we were for about 45 minutes trying to figure out what to do about it. And uh, finally, after all that time, I'm thinking, we got to go. We're going to be, you know, till dark. And um, So we're standing in the aisle, Home Depot. I said, Lord, please show us something here. There's got to be a solution here. And I mean, like a couple seconds later, my father said, what if we did such and such? He walked back over to one piece, and I said, you know what? I think that would work. I don't know why we didn't think, about, uh, think of that before, but I did know why we hadn't thought of that before. Because we sought the Lord and God gave my father the answer. How many times a day do you give? And we could have saved 45 minutes if I would have just done that at the beginning. But how many times a day do we say, Lord, show me the way? I was sitting in the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot this morning. I wanted to run the bus. I wanted to have Sunday school and church. And I'm sitting there looking at the road. It's, the sun isn't up yet. It's about quarter to six. A quarter, quarter to seven. And uh, I said, Lord, show me the way. Show me what to do. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what's safe, but I also want to do what's productive for you. Show me the way. How many times a day do you pray that? But here's what I want to get to this morning, and I don't want to take too long. But, I, but God really used some things to yesterday to... To really put this on my heart. When we pledge allegiance to the flag, we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the what? Republic. Now, maybe we're afraid of that word because it sounds like Republican and we don't want to be partisan. 
But republic, Republican and Democrat have nothing to do with that word republic. I'm afraid the average American couldn't tell you what a republic is. If you go back and you read the writings of our founding fathers, they talked about the republic all the time. What is a republic? A republic, and I'm begging you to, I'm begging you to listen to this, and I'm telling you, you're going to be hearing this because we're going, to be, we're going to be beating this drum this year. It's not about politics. In case you're going, oh, okay, here goes Pastor on his patriotic rants. That may be true, but I'm going to ask you to listen a little bit better than that. A republic is a nation of laws. Our nation is a nation of laws. That's what has set us apart. We have, I believe, the greatest government ever known to man. I don't mean the people in it. I mean the system is brilliant. Our founding fathers got that, I believe, from God. A republic is a nation of laws. And the core of those laws is the United States Constitution. If I, I pray this doesn't offend you because I'm not trying to. But we've had a president for almost eight years now who has ignored the rule of law. I'm not bashing President Obama. I'm not. But that's a, that's a fact. He has abused what is called executive privilege. Executive privilege is an exception, a temporary exception when all else fails. He has used it as a way around the legislature. See, the legislature makes the laws. The executive branch carries out the laws. The Supreme Court rules. The, the, the uh, a judicial branch, which is basically the Supreme Court and all the court system, they rule on how the law is executed, how it's carried out. But the legislature makes the laws. That's Congress makes the laws. Congress is not perfect. This is not about the people. It's about the system and the rule of law. When our president doesn't like, our current president doesn't like what the legislature does, he just uses executive privilege to do his own thing. What that has done, now here's, here's the evidence that the republic, the republic is almost lost is that we're not outraged by that. American citizens should be outraged that we have a president. And I'm telling you the truth. I love, and I'm, I'm using that word love in the exact right sense, I love President Obama and his family, and I pray for them. But he, he has abused the rule of law. He has ignored it, and we are not outraged. And here's what I'm getting at. I don't, I don't care to see him punished or imp- I'm not. I don't want any of that. What I want, and what we must have for the sake of our children, if we have one more president, even if he believes in good things, 
If we have one more president that ignores the rule of law, the republic is dead. And it will never be retained. It'll be gone forever. That which is, hey, that which makes people risk everything to come into our country, legally or not legally, what they're after, the heart of it, is the republic. And I'm telling you, if we have one more president who it does not bring us back to the Constitution of the United States, the republic is dead. And so I'm asking you today to make it a priority in your life to seek the Lord for your nation. I'm not I'm not going to speak for or against any candidate. That's your job to figure that out. But I'm telling you as a matter of principle that we must, the next president, now I know most of the time I'm talking about righteousness and spiritual things, and I'm going to continue to do that. But this is within the boundaries of righteousness because God was in the founding of our country. And God will be with, he will be in the restoration of our country if enough of us want it. Do you know why God was in the founding of our country? Because number one, the founding of our country lined up with our principles. But just as importantly, there were people that were pleading with God. I believe our founding principles still line up with God's principles, but there's not a lot of us pleading with God. So you figure it out. You figure out. I don't believe there's one candidate that is just one that's going to bring us. I believe there's a number that understand what I just explained to you. But I beg you to figure out who is it that's going to bring us back to the, to the Constitution. I'm going to ask you to do three things. And I'm going to be pushing these three things. Number one. Seek the Lord for your country. Listen, whatever you care about more than you care about freedom, you will lose it when you lose your freedom. And if we lose the republic, we've lost our freedom. Whatever you care about that you care about more than freedom, you'll lose it when you lose your freedom. So seek the Lord for your nation. Number two, I'm begging you to vote. And I'm begging you to vote biblical values. See, we want the easy. We, you want me, some of you, just to name the candidate. Pastor, tell me who to vote for, and I will. I refuse to do that. But I will tell you, you better vote for somebody that cares about the Constitution because that is what's going to save the republic. Register to vote and vote. And vote biblical values. Do you, know, do you know that if Christians in America voted biblical values, all the other demographics put together could not stop us? I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to vote. And then I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to talk about these things with people you know. I'm not on a campaign to turn every liberal progressive into a conservative. 
I just want people that know God and that are patriotic to seek the Lord and devote biblical values. We're going to do more about this. I'm going to talk more about this because this is the year. This is the year when Christians in America will decide, not by how we vote primarily, but how our hearts are with God. This is the year when we will decide whether or not our children will have the United States of America. Oh, it it may still be here in name, but they won't have what we enjoy if we don't seek the Lord and if we don't act on what God shows us. Father, I pray.